0: Welcome to the original and the best power hour with Alex Burr and Dylan Hughes, members and podcast
1: of the Running Hook Podcast.
0: Hello and welcome to another edition of the Alex and Dilley Basketball Power Hour. Once again, joined by my co-host, Dylan Hughes. Dylan, no curveball this week because one of the best days of your life happened on Tuesday. That's right. The Oklahoma City Thunder only walked away with the sixth pick after having a lot of options of getting two top five picks. So, Dylan, I just want you to reflect how happy you are about this lottery outcome.
1: You know, we've been talking a lot about manifestation the past uh, year or so. It's uh you know become very important in all of our lives, and you know sometimes it's it's with some actually important things, but sometimes it's basketball, and that's where all my powers have been at for the most part. And uh, you know, as soon as Sam Presti shipped off New Diallo, it's uh it's been downhill. He's he's been in the shitter for me, and he his team had a chance of getting two top four picks, was it? two top five picks. And he walks away with just the sixth pick while the team he sent Diallo to gets the number one overall pick. I mean, it it just really couldn't be better.
0: And let's be real here. I mean, let me ask you a question. Because we did the Thunder, and I think that was at the beginning of their losing streak. The second time. We could have, well, skipped the Thunder because they were really – I mean, that's the most blatant. I think that might be the most blatant take job of all time, what they did in the second half of the season. Like not just the Diallo trade is why they karmically deserve the sixth pick. It's because they just so blatantly were like, we're going, we're losing all of our games on purpose. Like they sat Al Horford when he didn't need to sit. They sat SGA when he probably didn't need to sit. They sat Lou Dort. Like, oh, Lou Dort. Oh, you have a headache. Okay. You don't have to play tonight. (laughs) Like that is one of the most flagrant take. I think it might be the most flagrant taking of all time and they still they didn't get rewarded for it. So that's why you're you're happy about it for the Diallo perspective. I'm happy about it for the karmic perspective. Like and plus I'm happy that the Raptors and the Cavs both jumped into the top 4. I'm very happy about that.
1: Yeah, I mean, I was shitting on them for the tanking too cuz like you said it was just awful. I mean, there was no question what was going on. Like Al Horford who was one of their two or three players that was actually trying all year really uh just, you know, Oh, uh, we're going to mutually agree to sit. It's like, oh, okay. I wonder who started that conversation. And uh, it was really sad. Like, e- even the young guys that are supposed to get opportunities, like you said, Lou Dort. Um, I mean, I know Shea was injured, but like, I feel like there was a little bit of uh, stretching on that. Maybe, oh, well, there's a month left in the season. You probably would miss a, a week with this, but we'll just see you for the rest of the year. I mean, it was just, it was just bad. And, I think the basketball gods were, were, were over it. And they said, no, fuck you. You're getting the sixth pick. You're not even close. You're going to get a good player, but you're not even going to get close to one of these top guys. So have fun, Presty.
0: And that's a good way to look at it. Let's, while we're talking about it, let's go ahead and talk about the rest of the lottery. So I'll pull up the lottery order here. So Detroit um, jumped up to one, Houston fell to two, then Cleveland and Toronto rounded out the top four, then Orlando got 5-8. and eight. OKC, like we said, got 6. Golden State got 7-14. and 14, And then everything else was chalked from there. Your Pacers didn't jump. But, Dylan, I mean, let's be real here. Detroit and Houston were the two teams in need of the most talent at the top of this draft. Like, we talked about Detroit had a very good 2020 draft, but they really needed more talent. And getting Cade Cunningham, or if they trade down, getting whoever they want, that's going to be huge for their franchise going forward.
1: Yeah. I mean, we've been hyping up Detroit all year, even though they were the second worst team in the league, (laughs) but they didn't feel like the second worst team in the league. I mean, they were a fun team to watch and they were, they were competitive a lot. Like I don't have the, I don't have any numbers pulled up, but I I would like to think their plus minus wasn't that bad, you know, for being a 20 win team. Um, And maybe it was, I don't know. I'm sure they got blown out a lot too, but there was a lot of games they were competitive in. And they just happen to lose because their roster is young as hell. But, I mean, they got some really nice building blocks. And, you know, if you throw Cade in there, it's going to be great. But, like you mentioned, like, that pick, number one overall pick in any draft is worth a lot. And, I mean, I would just rather go with Cade because you already got a young nucleus, you know. So, unless you're going to trade for some young disgruntled guy, they would fit in nicely. Um, I say just stick with Cade. And uh, you're going to be pretty happy. And then you know, from Houston's perspective, again, they could have lost that pick. So great for them. They were very clearly the worst team in the league this year. <laughs> A lot of bad luck involved in that. But um, you know, we'll see. We'll see who they get. It'll probably end up being Mobley, I guess. But um, either way, they're uh, they're going to be happy. And I'm definitely happy. Those were the two teams that are sitting at the top of the draft.
0: So. Since you asked, I pulled it up. Um, Detroit had the fifth worst point differential in the league. So Minnesota, Houston, Cleveland, and Orlando and Oklahoma city. So I guess the sixth worst point differential in the whole league, which all things considered not terrible, you know, and they're going to get better. They're going to, I mean, let's be real Dylan, a lineup of Killian Hayes, Cade Cunningham, Jeremy Grant, Sadiq Bay, or probably Flip Bay and Grant, but whatever. And then Isaiah Stewart is going to be very interesting, especially if Isaiah Stewart keeps shooting threes.
1: Yeah, and if Killian Hayes can show some potential with the shot, too, which he did a bit last year. I mean, there was a couple games where he knocked down a few um, threes, so it's going to be interesting. Either way, that's going to be a fun as hell lineup. I mean, Hayes alone, Hayes and Stewart have a nice connection. I think Hayes would have a nice connection with anyone because he loves throwing lobs. Um, But yeah, there's, there's a lot of explosiveness, a lot of talent um, if they do take Kate. So I'm excited for them.
0: Um, Let's talk quickly because we got a lot to talk about, but let's talk quickly. So first of all, the bulls did this to themselves first and foremost, trading the pick. And now Orlando has two first round picks. Orlando's in desperate need of talent. They got a lot of good young talent. Um, Toronto, I feel like them jumping is huge for them because we feel like Lowry is going to leave. Like if they get the right guy to plug and play, do you think they could be back? Not maybe to where they were in 2020, because that was the second seed, but do you think they could be back in that like three to six range in the East?
1: Maybe. I mean, so let's just say they get Jalen sucks. I don't know if he'll end up slipping past three or not, but. Uh, I don't know much about Jalen Green, so I don't want to, like, comment on him really, but let's just say Suggs. Okay, so you got Suggs, Van Vliet, OG, and Siakam. I mean, that's a pretty solid four. And, you know, I don't know about the three seed, but definitely that, that back half of the playoffs is in contention. Um, I mean, who knows what the hell the East is going to be next year because – we thought it was going to be awesome this year, and it ended up being three good teams. <laughs> so, you know, who really knows what's going to happen, but we we always trust Toronto around here, and if they can nab one of those top guys, like, they already have a good roster. So, you know, I, I definitely think they can make a quick jump.
0: And with... They just need to get another center, too. But that shouldn't be too hard. Let me pull up their cap situation real quick, because I bet you they are not... I bet you they're going to be pressed for cash next year. But, you know, I think Kyle Lowry is going to take a sign and trade. So, we'll see where that goes. Um, so, okay. No, I clicked lineups when I met salaries. My bad. Alex Googling is not going all that well today. Um, point is, they're going to get a good center, I think. and Or maybe they play Siakam at the five. Who's to say? But they got a lot of different ways they could go. And it'll be interesting next year because I think the East next year. Now we talked about this year, the Pacers will be better. We'll talk about the Pacers. Actually, let's just talk about them next. The Hawks will be as good next year. Maybe not as good, but they'll be in the playoff hunt. Um, The Heat will be better next year. The Raptors, I think, will be better next year. The Knicks will be as good, but they still might fall out of the the play. And you never know with this stuff. So it's going to be an interesting year next year. But we got to talk about your team Hiring the best coach on the market. Dylan Hughes, the Indiana Pacers signed Rick Carlisle to a four-year, $29 million contract. Um, what a steal. Like, I mean, I know that car, that's an extensive contract, but for a coach of that caliber, like it's he's worth all the money because he's like no matter what you say, and I think Lou did out coach him in the first round. I mean, not like Carlisle had too many counter moves, but I think Carlisle's still one of the eight best coaches in the league.
1: Yeah. And I mean, if you look at the past 10 years, not to get hung up on the past too much, but I mean, he's been probably one of the top three coaches. Mm -hmm. I mean, you know, he's one of just a handful of coaches. That's won a finals. And I mean, you know, with Dirk on the kind of the downswing of his career, there wasn't uh, a ton of success after that finals run, but I mean, I don't blame Carl for that at all. There was a lot of, roster issues and we had the whole Rondo experiment, which was fun. Um, but yeah, I mean, I was, I was really stunned and cause everyone kind of just thought as soon as Brad Stevens uh, moved up out of that coaching spot that he would go to Boston. And as soon as they, you know, hired Ime, uh, I was like, wow, like maybe, maybe there's a chance he could come here. And I uh, flipped my phone over yesterday. I saw it. I'm like, ooh, baby. It actually happened. I mean, it's like the the most or the, the least Pacers thing to happen is to actually get what seems like the best thing. And, I mean, obviously, I don't care how much they're paying them. It's not my money. It's nice to see Herb Simon actually shelling out some cash for once. Because uh, I don't know if you know this, Alex, but the mall business uh, is a decent business to get into uh real estate in general it's uh it actually pays a good profit despite what uh what people say so nice to see him pay up for once um and really over the past few years, it seems like he's kind of going all in. I think he's realized that being cheap doesn't win, and uh he's finally kind of pulling those uh those bands out of his pocket, so really nice to see and I'm fascinated to see where the roster ends up because some people are speculating that Sabonis is out now because of this. I don't know exactly how they're coming to that conclusion, but I've kind of personally thought that maybe that's the, that's the guy to move either him or Brogdon or both um, and see if you can get a roster that maybe molds a little bit better. So we'll see where they go, but I'm, I'm definitely happy about it.
0: From my understanding, Rick Carlisle loves miles Turner. Yeah. So I think that's maybe where they're coming to that conclusion. But, I mean, we saw last year, they didn't suck playing together. Now, the way you do it has got to be different. And I don't know if – because Sabonis can't do that again this year. Like, he can't do the running around the perimeter shit. Like, that's just not what his game is. Carlisle, to me – and I know he's had two of the most gifted offensive players of the last decade, right, or the last 20 years. He had, you know – 11 years of Dirk, conservatively, I want to say. And then he had three years of Luca. But look at who else he got contributions from. Like, you remember that 13-14 Mavs team with Vince Carter, with Monte Ellis. Like, that team was able, that team was the A-seed, and they pushed the Spurs the seven games in the first round. And you remember the Spurs ran through the rest of the playoffs like it was nothing. So they were the only team in 14 to give the champions a challenge, basically, because Carlisle, went toe to toe with pop. And I think that's really all it came down to in that series. And then I think Carlisle is very capable of leading you guys to a very good place. Like we see, and this team has a lot of offensive talent, a lot. And if they can bring back Doug McDermott, I saw a Caitlin Cooper tweet today that apparently when he was in Dallas, Doug shot 49% from three. And if he can get, If they can get Doug McDermott back, that's going to be huge for them because he can, you know, like, I think Doug might get paid this summer. But first of all, but I think that if they can bring him back, then that's going to be huge for them. And if they make moves, you know, they might not get better players, but they might get better fits, which is what you really need. So I think that the Pacers, Dylan, I think they have a really exciting, you know, future like next year.
1: Yeah. And I've been saying this all year that, they've had a ton of bad luck this year with injuries. I mean, TJ Warren missed the entire season. He was arguably their best player last year. If not best, the second best for sure. So that was a major loss, and they still almost made the playoffs. So And everyone else that was good missed some time too. I mean, Miles Turner missed like 20 games. Brogdon always has stuff, Sabonis. So they had a lot of injury issues, and they still almost made it. So, you know, I, I definitely think You know, we're talking about Toronto making a quick turnaround. I think the Pacers absolutely could as well. And McDermott is definitely – he's like the one guy that's a free agent. Um, I guess McConnell could be too. But he's like the one guy that they really got to worry about. And like you said, he's going to get paid. I mean, this past season I think was by far his best season. And it had nothing to do with the shooting. So, like, I was – I gave Bjorken credit for that all year that he found a way to utilize McDermott – um, off the ball a lot more than past coaches have. So it's going to be interesting to see what happens there. And speaking of Sabonis, I mean, Sabonis is a huge part of McDermott's success. So if you want to ship him out of town, I don't know if McDermott comes back, <laughs> but, uh, he may just follow him to whatever team he ends up on, but, you know, uh, we'll definitely see what happens. I mean, I would, I would, I, I wouldn't mind if they just rolled it back. They just, cat to everyone and and see what happens, maybe make a mid-season trade. But, I mean, I don't think there's any issues with the roster fitting too much right now. I'm a little bit concerned about um, the ball handling. There's there's too much ball handling at this point. I mean, bringing Warren back, and Warren has never been a guy that dribbles the hell out of the ball, but he's going to want to occasionally. And when you have LaVert and Sabonis and Brogdon out there at the same time, you know, it may get a little congested. So we'll, we'll have to see what Carlisle cooks up and, and Pritchard. But, um, you know, I definitely think they have a lot of talent and they could very easily uh, make a good run at the playoffs next year.
0: Classic case of too many chefs in the kitchen. Um, in the interest of time, because we have so much to talk about today, we got to talk about what's going on in Boston. So a couple hours before our last Power Hour posted last Friday, we're recording this on Fridays, so it'll be out. On uh, Friday, um, a couple hours before this posted, Kemba Walker got traded to the Oklahoma City Thunder, bringing it back to the Thunder. For uh, he got traded with the 16th pick for Al Horford and Moses Brown is very clearly a salary dump. And then the Celtics hired Ime Udoka to be their next coach. Um, let's talk about the the Kemba trade. I like. Oh, I don't know much about Ime Udoka. He's apparently very revered around the league. He was a D'Antoni guy. He was a pop guy. So, I mean, Dylan, do you have anything to add about Udoka before we move on to uh, Kemba?
1: Yeah, I don't know much about him either, but uh, man, what a staff for the Nets. They're mm-hmm. probably going to end up having uh, two head coaches come out of uh, this summer.
0: Yeah. Well, it's kind of, it might be looking like the 2013-14 uh, Hawks staff, which I'll pull up in a second, but that that staff was loaded, but... <laughs> Um, we got to talk about Kemba and the Kemba trade to me was fascinating. Like something was very clearly wrong. And it's very clear that this was either a salary dump or Brad really missed Al Horford. One of the two, this is Brad's first move as the executive. So what did you think of the move for the Celtics? Because the thunder end of this, they're just getting another first add and their stash. That's really all they care about. They're going to trade Kemba ASAP.
1: Yeah, I thought it was, it was perfect. I mean, we we talked about Kemba recently and how they don't have many options to get off that contract, and Al Horford happens to be one of the uh, bloated contracts in the league they could have traded him for. So, and you know, I don't I don't think he's as bloated as Kemba was. So it was a good deal for them. Um, you know, as as we saw, their center uh, rotation has struggled ever since Al left, and now they have too many centers. I think because Rob Williams is kind of like one of those guys that's on the line of being a bad starter, but a too good of a bench player. So it's like, you don't really know what to do with him. Um, And Moses Brown, I mean, a little bit surprising uh, for the Thunder to just give him up. He had a good season. So I don't, I don't know uh, what that's about, but yeah, I mean, it was, I thought it was great for the Celtics. Um, We'll see what they do at point guard now. It's not too much of a concern because you know Brown and Tatum do so much ball handling as is. You can probably plug. Uh, well, we've been talking about Patty Mills a lot lately. If you can get Patty Mills, it's perfect. Obviously, who knows? He'll have a lot of suitors, but
0: Horford in the Mark Gasol role.
1: Yeah, like you, you can share the ball handling around and just plug some sort of shooter at, at point guard, and you'll be fine. But yeah, I I thought it was uh, definitely a very good improvement for the Celtics.
0: Yes, I thought that Horford coming back is good for them. Like, he has the institutional knowledge. Now, we don't know if... I don't think Ime Yudoko will run the same plays as uh, <laughs> as Stevens did. But who's to say that... Let's say Udo Udoko decides to run a, um, a D'Antoni-style offense. That could really utilize Horford. And then I love the Moses Brown pickup. There's no way they keep Rob Williams. Like, they traded Tice so that... Stevens would play Rob Williams. And if his first move is to trade for two centers, and I know again, salary dump, but if his first move is to trade for two centers, then that means Robert Williams is definitely gone. Uh, Robert Williams and Tristan Thompson. If I had to guess Marcus smart, will be gone next year too. Like, I don't know who they would trade him for some kind of point guard. I mean, if I could, I would see if I couldn't sign a trade for Lowry, but I don't think that's going to happen. But um, breaking news, Dylan Hughes, Jason Kidd has agreed to be the head coach of the Dallas Mavericks. Like this was obviously this was bandied about yesterday. It's kind of like a rumor, but they are hiring Jason Kidd to be their head coach. Um, Dylan, it seems like the Mavericks clearly got worse at head coach. Like we saw in his previous two stops, um, that Jason Kidd really wasn't all that great of a coach. And then you add in the fact it's for in terms of PR, right? You add in the fact that he is a domestic abuser and the Mavericks organization dealt with the issues that they dealt with. Um, I know Mark Cuban doesn't care what anyone thinks, but this might not be the best look for old cubes there.
1: (laughs) Yeah, it's, uh, it seemed like kind of a natural fit right off the bat. For some reason that that was going to happen. And I mean, I don't really know what to think about it. Like obviously the optics from what all the stuff you just said, not great. Um, you know, the, the Mavs have had quite a few years here with, with issues, uh, off the court. So it's, it's not a great, you know, people always say, uh, watch what I, or listen to what I say, not what I do, because, uh, you know, that's kind of like an excuse to do whatever, (laughs) do whatever you want. And you can, you can talk all the talk, but you don't, you walk the walk. And uh Cuban maybe not walking the walk so much with, with the uh inclusiveness type of thing, but you know, from a basketball perspective, obviously a downgrade. I I don't I'm not gonna go as far as everyone and say he's like the worst coach in the league or anything like that. Well Luke is I mean, still coaching. Yeah, which is a whole nother podcast right there. But he uh, you know, kid kid has been, you know, he's been around LeBron. Like, I don't know if that's gonna really change anything, but You know, maybe being an assist in the past few seasons, he's kind of uh, figured something out, but I don't know. It's there's, he's definitely not the best candidate out there. Uh, That's, that's for sure.
0: Well, you bring up the uh, dysfunction. We're talking about Carlisle earlier. Do you remember that Jamal Mosley name that was being bandied about that? Like Lucas said, he wanted to be the head coach. Like he said, Jamal Mosley should be a head coach. I don't know if you saw that, but there was quotes going around after Carlisle left. Where Jamal Mosley, who was an assistant on the Mavs, um, Luke was like, I really like this guy. i want him to be coach. And then apparently Carlisle, I don't know if he came out and said it or if someone close to him reported it, but apparently he thought Jamal Mosley was like being kind of backstabby. And then in addition to everything we talked about last week,
1: I mean the Mavericks,
0: whew, what the fuck is going on there?
1: <laughs> yeah, man, it's it's kind of funny how, how things change so quickly. Like when they were up 2-0 on the Clippers, man – what a what a euphoric high that was! We thought they were walking to the conference finals. <laughs> yeah, we were already talking about matchups in the second round and who they best you know go up against. And man, it it is crumbled very quickly. So they they have a lot of work to do. Um, and they hired some Nike executive as their you know guy overseeing the operation. So I don't I don't exactly know where they're going. But this is kind of a pivotal summer because luca has got a contract extension he's going to get for sure. Um, and the roster is not what it should be. It's not where it should be. So very interesting time for the Mavericks. Uh, very – I mean, it's going to be interesting year or summer for everyone in the league. I think there's going to be a lot of craziness as usual. But the Mavericks in particular really need to figure this out quick because as we've seen with guys – Luca could very well, you know, try to get out of there at some point.
0: Yes, and I think that's a good note to leave it on. Um the the Nike executive's name is Nico Harrison. So he is going to be their general mas- manager and head of basketball operations. Um I'm assuming Bob Volgaris is not leaving. <laughs> I'm assuming he won that power struggle, but Um, Let's go ahead and move on. So we're going to recap the second round series. In addition to all that new stuff we just broke down, we're going to talk about the... uh, We're going to finish up our second round series and then talk about the conference finals. So, Dylan, which collapse do you want to talk about first? The Sixers or the Jazz?
1: Let's go with the Sixers.
0: Yeah, that, that one's the one everyone is talking about. I mean, the Jazz isn't getting enough love for how bad they fucking blew it. But... Maybe that's recency bias. Who's to say? So, game six, the Sixers actually won one hundred four to ninety nine. But then game because we, I think the last game we had before uh, the last power hour was game five. So, game seven, the Sixers went or the Sixers lose one hundred three to ninety six. The Hawks move on to the Eastern Conference Finals, and the Sixers go home in shame. Um, I mean, the big story here is Ben Simmons and. Dylan, I know you have some strong Ben Simmons takes, so let's just get him off your chest.
1: I mean, listen, so we, he didn't, I don't think he had a, did it, was not it the entire series he didn't shoot in the fourth quarter? Or was it just the last four games?
0: Well, he shot one. There's a Haberstroh tweet. tweet I'll pull it up, but you keep talking. Because there was, um, I know he shot some in the fourth quarter.
1: But. Yeah, I think. I think for the whole series, it may have been, it was like less than five attempts or something like that. So, and and I want to, this is not a call out to J.D. Hall, but this is just like a a reference kind of from our discussion in the chat that, you know, J.D. was trying to defend Ben Simmons because he's not a scorer, which we know. We know he's not a scorer. But that doesn't excuse not having any sort of offensive presence at the end of a game in basically any game in the playoffs. Like you can say, yeah, he's not a scorer. Uh He it's like okay, he's not a scorer, so let's bench him in the fourth quarter. And you know, what is it? Should we pay him fifteen million instead of what he's getting? Because that's that's what happens. Like you know, he's he hasn't changed at all since he's gotten the league. He he came into the league as a great defender. He's gotten better. He came into the league as a great passer. Maybe he's gotten better. But the issues that he had coming into the league, he has not fixed at all. And there's a lot of people saying that he's kind of surrounded himself in this bubble where he's, he's perfect. You know, there's no reason for him to change. And uh, he just has not gotten better. All the issues he came into the league with, he still has. And it's gotten to the point where we come into every season with the Sixers as one of the best teams in the East and all oh, they can make a run to the finals. And this has been two straight seasons where we've really held them in high regard. And they fucked up. And a lot of it's because Ben Simmons just does not show up when it matters. And when you're – I mean, when Seth Curry is by far your second best player – and again, I love Seth Curry. I've been talking highly of Curry for a long time. But when he's your second best player and Ben Simmons is supposed to be that guy, like that is a problem. That is a real problem. And the 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 thing that really got me was that layup that he just did not take under the rim – I mean, Ben Simmons is tall and strong. He could have easily went up and dunked that ball. He had two guys close to him, but he could have dunked that ball very easily. He gives it to, was it Theibel? It was Theibel. Who has basically zero offensive responsibility, even less than Simmons. And he gets fouled, and did he make one free throw out of that? Yep. so So that was an easy dunk that turns into one point. And it was all because Simmons is in his own head. And he just doesn't trust himself when it matters most. So it, it's if you're the Sixers, it's like, you just have to trade him. I, I don't know what, this is not a new thing. This is not something that just is happening now. This is something that he's known about. And that team has known about for years. He got benched for TJ McConnell. I mean, like the, the guys that he's getting benched for are so much worse than him. And yet they're having a greater impact. So it's it's like you gotta you gotta move often, but the problem is there's definitely teams that want him, but his trade value is down for sure. So it's it's going to be very fascinating to see how this ends up.
0: Doc and uh, Joel sh- certainly didn't help that, but we'll talk about that more later. Um, to answer your your first question, you are correct. No field goal attempts in the fourth quarter of the last four games. Would you like to guess how many field goal attempts he had in the fourth quarters the whole series?
1: I, I think uh. I'm, I'm going to say, like, five. It was three. And,
0: listen, we saw, right, and we, we're, not talking about, um, Nets, we're not talking about Nets. We're not talking about Nets-Bucks, even though that was a fucking – one of the best NBA games I've ever seen. Not, like, you know, in terms of quality, but just in terms of, like, tension. Right? That was a really great game. But the difference between Giannis and Ben Simmons and why Giannis will always be the better player between the two of them, unless something changes drastically with Ben – is that Giannis ain't scared of missing at the free throw line. He's just not. There is a palpable difference between the two of them. Like Giannis, give him a lot of shit, right? He got shut down by Kawhi in the 2019 Eastern Conference Finals, right? He got, you know, they made a wall and they he couldn't beat the wall last year against Miami. But you know what he didn't stop doing? He didn't stop fucking trying. And that's the difference between the two of them. And it's like, yeah, it's hard because you're on a team with Joel Embiid. But he shot – I have the um series stats. I actually pulled out the box score, but let me go ahead and go back to the series stats because for the series, I think he shot something like 30% from the foul line, right? He was very clearly – so, yeah. um, Ben Simmons, 33% from the foul line, 15 to 45. Like, he was very clearly scared to get fouled. And I think that, you know – you can't play like that. Like Lonzo Ball can play like that because he's not as talented as you, right? And hell, Lonzo's not scared of getting fouled anymore. You can see it when the guy is scared. Like, this was a Rondo problem for a long time, too. If you remember, like he would always drive in, and because he was Rondo, he could get anywhere he wanted, but he re- basically refused to shoot layups because he he was so bad at he wasn't he wasn't this bad at shooting free throws, but Rondo was bad at shooting free throws for the longest time. And he basically had the same problem. But Rondo's not anywhere near as physically gifted as Ben Simmons is. He's just not. And Simmons, like, it's just at a certain point, like, I I feel bad for him, right? Because everyone's taking shots at him. Everyone's taking shots at him. But, and obviously that's probably not good for your mental health. But unfortunately, and this is just the way it has to be. Like, it's just survival of the mentally fittest. And after this series, like, you could question whether or not, like, what's wrong. You have to question what's wrong with Ben Simmons. Like, you can't be like, okay, everything you can't say everything's perfectly fine. Because it clearly isn't. They shouldn't have lost this fucking Hawks team. They shouldn't have. Like, this Hawks team was clearly worse than they were. Like, and Bogdanovich went out. Bogdanovich barely played in game seven one of their best players barely played in game seven and you still lost. Like it, it just doesn't make sense. And I love the Hawks. Right. And they deserve all the credit in the world for making the Eastern conference finals. But I feel like this, this loss is more on the Sixers than it was on the Hawks.
1: Yeah. And this is something we talked about before the series was over that it's like Joel Embiid versus everyone. And it doesn't matter who you're playing. Well, I guess it does. But when you're in the playoffs, it that that experiment's only going to last so long when you can put it all on one guy's shoulders. And again, Seth Curry was very good too. But even, even if it's just two guys, like you got to have some support and Ben Simmons is the first guy you're going to go to Tobias Harris is the second. And, you know, everyone's been shitting on Tobias Harris. I think Ben Simmons deserves more uh, flack because Tobias Harris was awful, but he was at least making shots down the stretch. Like, that Game 7, I think he hit two buckets in the last, like, few minutes that, like, kept him in it. Ben Simmons wasn't doing that. Like, I think, you know, he shot whatever 30% in that game, but, like, at least he was putting shots up. At least he was trying. And I know that he actually is a scorer, and, like, he's going to be held to a higher standard when it comes to that. But he was still getting points, right? And that's something that Simmons can't say. I mean, four points in a Game 7 is blasphemy. And he's not a guy that puts up a lot of points. Like, I think he averaged 14 points this year. But if they had four, if he had 14 points in that game, they easily win. So it's, it's really bad for them. And, and, uh, yeah, I, I think, again, you can give Doc a bunch of flack, deserves it. Tobias deserves it. But I still think Ben should have most of it.
0: Yes. I think that's a fair point on Tobias. He really, I mean, to be f- To be fair to my criticism of Tobias, he was really bad in games three, five, and seven. Game six, he stepped up, I'll say. But game seven, like he was at least, you know, he was three of eight in the fourth quarter. But for the game, I think he was eight of 24. Like, and he was missing, there were some bunnies he missed, right? Like he missed a wide open layup. Like apparently Tobias and Ben were both terrified of Gallinari because, or was it Bogdanovich that Tobias missed the um, layup when he was contesting? But it was just, it was just infuriating watching them play because Tobias just needs to need to be better. Right. And we agree. Tobias is probably miscast in the role that he's in currently. Like he's not a second option. And what he is on this team is a second option, but Ben Simmons, he needs a new team. And you brought up the game seven. He only had like five points in the, uh, the Raptors game seven too. This isn't the first time this has happened with him. And I don't think, listen, The Ben-Joel experiment was fine, but I think we said it. I think I said it in the first round, didn't I, that I think this experiment's done, the Ben-Joel and experiment. like I I think I said that in the first round when they were destroying the Wizards. I just don't think it can work anymore. They need to get Simmons' own team. He needs to buck up and accept that he needs to play power forward or center. That needs to be his thing, but I don't know if he'll do it. And it kind of makes me infuriated because you – need to sacrifice parts of your game to be your best self. And he, he hasn't done that yet.
1: Yeah. And again, it goes back to the bubble. Like when you have people constantly telling you how great you are, and and this is not just a basketball or sports thing. This is something that a lot of celebrities have where they put themselves in this bubble where everyone loves them. Everyone's kissing their ass because of who they are and they get no, resistance to what they're doing they so they think everything they're doing is fine everything they're doing is great and it doesn't really matter what the results are they continue to have this full ego of you know this is not my problem this is their problem and it's not good I, I think the this the best and the smartest successful people have opposing opinions and opposing viewpoints because that's how you grow like if you just think the same way all the time and you do the same stuff over and over, you're never going to improve. You're just going to stay stagnant. And, you know, maybe that level that you're at that level you're sustaining is good, but it's not great. And if you're Ben Simmons and you're being paid to be great, you know, you got to make improvements. And I mean, this is, again, this is not a new discussion. People have been doubting this pairing for years Mm -hmm. because, And this is, it's funny to look at this because look how much better Embiid has gotten over the past two, three seasons. I mean, he has gotten 50, 75% better. Like, he has become dominant. Ben Simmons has been the same. Look at the, the first round series against the Celtics last year. Remember that Embiid's
0: stock was at an all time low after the Celtics series because they got fucking swept and Embiid was putting up 30 and 15, but he was tired by the fourth quarter. Like this series, at least he had, you know, at least you could say he's playing through a torn meniscus, but he did, he looked winded at the end of these games too. You have to, I I don't think Embiid should escape all the flack here. Like, you know, maybe this year, right? Because of the, the meniscus, but like he had eight turnovers, Embiid did. Like, that's not great. And I'm pretty sure, let me check the box score real quick. They won, but I'm pretty sure he had eight turnovers in game six too. Yeah, he did. Like, you you don't handle the ball enough, and you don't get enough assists to have eight turnovers. You just don't. So, Simmons deserves slack, and Tobias deserves slack, but I don't think Joel should get off spotless here either.
1: Yeah, he shouldn't, but I generally give the first option some slack. Like, James Harden has got a lot of the shit before about turnovers, and obviously is, is the main ball handler that's more common, but... Embiid is the go-to guy, and he's in the paint. That's where the toughest defense comes from. And you know, Joel makes a lot of dumb passes, so you know a lot of the turnovers come from that. But I'll give him some flack uh, for that, but I don't think you know it's completely his fault. Because again, when everything's on his shoulders, like he's going to be put under a microscope, and he's going to have a lot more pressure um, from defenses, but I don't think anyone on that team was perfect and Joel certainly wasn't, but he was definitely the best and mm-hmm. I'm definitely not going to look at him when it comes to, to blame.
0: <laughs> no, I'm not either, but I'm just saying he shouldn't get off scot-free. That's all I'm yeah. saying. But I think we should talk about the Hawks. Um, they won in spite of Trey Young going five of 23. Um, Your Kevin Herter stock is going through the roof your long-held Kevin Herter stock. Um, Danilo Gallinari had the best playoff series of his life, and that's actually statistically right. Um, Dylan, for as much flack as we are giving the Sixers, the Hawks are just such an incredibly tough, tough team, and I love I love the progress they've made.
1: Yeah, man, I, I tweeted this, I think, yesterday or the day before, that this Hawks team reminds me so much of the early 2010s Pacers. And, you know, Nate McMillan didn't really have much overlap, but uh, man, like Trey Young is like, he's like what Paul George was back then. This ascending star that's going toe to toe with these superstars in the conference and just taking them down or at least pushing them really hard. And there's a bunch of guys surrounding him that are scrappy and kind of underrated and they're coming out strong. You got a few veterans in there mixing things up. Like, I just love this Hawks team so much. And obviously, as we'll discuss, Trey has been leading the cause, uh, leading the charge. But there's so many, you know, guys on this team that have contributed at different points. And yeah, man, Herter, God, I love that kid so much. I mean, he he's just so good at knowing what what shots he likes and what he doesn't. And he's really good at, at, uh, you know, getting in the right spots. And I mean, I think he's been fine on defense, too. Like, I, I think he's he's much better than Bogdanovich is for sure on defense, um, which has helped them at different points in the playoffs. But, yeah, he's he's been great. And, you know, I don't want to spoil too much of the the Eastern Conference Finals game we got to talk about. But, yeah, I mean, the it, it's just a fun team all around.
0: And Bogdanovich is is clearly not pl- well, right? Like, if I bet you, if Hunter and Reddish were healthy, he wouldn't be playing at all because it's like, what's yeah. the point, but they need him because they're so like, so much of their depth is already hurt <laughs> that they just need more reinforcements. And like, I understand them not wanting to you know, play in the conference finals. We'll talk about that more, but I understand them not wanting to play, you know, 30, Tony Snell minutes. I get it. I really do. But, um, harder harder for the, um, so you watched game one, right. Of the, uh, Hawks. So a game, one of the Hawks Sixer series I meant when, uh, when the
1: oh. I don't think I did. I, I, that may have been the end of my vacation.
0: So, yeah, I think that would have been one of the last days of your vacation. So, at the end of the first game, Kevin Herter almost blew it because he got a five-second violation. He had a turnover, you know, late in the game. But you saw through the series, this experience was really good for him where he, I, he matured right before our eyes. Like, he's really turned, like, you know I wasn't as high as Kevin Herter as you were. But for the series, 13 points a game on 48% from the field, 37% from three. Like, and he had more blocks than Capella. <laughs> like, he was just ridiculously good in this series. And he matured right before our eyes, basically. And I thought it was really cool to see someone, a young player basically gain his confidence through the course of seven games and be like, oh, no, I got this. I got this. And I think, you know, I think having Bogey and Gallo and uh, Lou Will really helps. I think those vets are really good for the Hawks.
1: Yeah, and, you know, we've kind of fluctuated on our on our uh, opinions of their last offseason. Obviously, Caleb Lynn, very against the offseason. Uh, me and you, very for it. And I think me and you came to a point where, like, yeah, maybe Gallinari wasn't great. But the playoffs, he's proven that he's been worth it because down the stretch, including the Bucks game, you know, he was hitting shots and, you know, he wasn't as great in that Bucks game, but I mean, he's, he's a guy you can go to and you want to post him up and kind of the, you know, just short of the, of the three point line, you know, he's gonna, he's going to put someone in a spin cycle and, and get a good shot up. So definitely having him around and, and, and shooting it in the end of a game, that's where young guys don't want to show up. You know, that's, That's where they typically don't show up just because they don't really have the experience. So that's why having vets is so huge because they know how to react and operate um, at the end of a a close game. And even Gallinari, who doesn't – who hasn't had a lot of playoff success, he's still a vet. He's been around. He knows what to do. Lou Will has been around and has been successful. He knows what to do. So, you know, definitely having those guys around to complement the young talent has been very beneficial.
0: And also, you know what I just realized? You know why this might be the best uh, playoff series of Gallo's career? Why? Because this is the first one he's played in the East. <laughs> but in all seriousness, like Gallo for the series, 14.7 points, five rebounds, an assist, a game, and 46-41-96 shooting splits. And he got to the foul line, you know, like about four times a game. He was really good at drawing fouls. I mean, he was basically against the Sixers bench units, which were awful, awful, awful bench units for the Sixers. But against the Sixers bench unit, he was getting whatever he wanted because he was bigger and he was a better shooter than all of them. And I think that, you know, they don't win this series without those additions of Bogey and Gallo. And I know Bogey didn't play well the last two games because he was hurt, but he was a, those were really big additions for them. And this is why you get them. Because Trey Young is a winning player, I think we should save all our Trey Young praise for the conference finals game. Because this was, I an objectively better game. But even in this game, Trey, even in game seven, Trey basically killed the. He killed the Sixers down the stretch. Like he pulled the plug, and I thought he was really important. Like they don't win that game without Trey Young at the end coming through and being a superhero, basically.
1: Yeah. Again, like you know, you can look at the game log all you want and say, "Oh, he was terrible," but when it really mattered, he showed up. And, and that's where I, a lot of my judgments for a player come, you know, this is on the flip side of Ben Simmons. When you're in the last, you know, three to five minutes of a game, what are you doing? If you're missing shots and making turnovers, you know, it's going to lower my opinion of you. Trey young, despite having a terrible game showed up, he didn't let, he didn't let that bad game get to him. and, And he showed up and hit huge shots. And and that's what makes a great player. Like that's what separates the good players from the great is it doesn't matter what you did the previous 43 minutes or whatever. What are you going to do right now when we need you? And he showed up.
0: So I pulled up the uh, game log, right? So with 7 minutes and 16 seconds left, it's 8 81 77 Sixers away. Gallo makes a jumper to make it 80 81. Then Trey at 631 makes it 82 84. Then Trey's involved on most of the last Trey and Herter are basically involved in the rest the action for the rest of the game like they scored the majority of the points for the fourth quarter for the, for the Hawks and then at 231 the shot that I think broke the Sixers Trey Young makes a three-point jumper from 29 feet like that was the shot that basically ended the Sixers season right there because having like we you've brought up before that Trey shouldn't be bombing from th- he stopped bombing from three as much but he has it in his back pocket he can do it but he's choosing his spots now, and I think that hitting that shot in that spot, I think it killed the Sixers.
1: Yeah, that was like the holy shit shot of the game. When he hit that shot, it's like, okay, this is what we're going with. Like, again, you have – he has a terrible, terrible game, and and that's the shot he goes to at the end and makes it. That's, that's like Steph Curry. That's what Steph Curry does. He doesn't care what happens the rest of the game. He's pulling up from the spots he's comfortable in. And yeah, it may be five, six feet behind the line. It doesn't matter. He's sinking it. And Dame Lillard, same thing. Like that's you know, that that's the company that Trey is creeping into. He's not, he's not there yet. He's still got a lot of work to do. But you can put up numbers like this in the playoffs. You can lead a young team to the conference finals and you can hit big shots when it matters. Like that's that's the kind of stuff that that really shoots you up the the list of rankings.
0: Yeah. Yeah, totally agree. Like he's already shot up my personal rankings in these playoffs and he might jump, you know, a spot or two more. Like he's been that good, but we'll, again, we'll save more Trey young talk for the uh, conference finals talk. Let's talk about the jazz. So game six, only game after uh, the power hour last week. And it was actually the night. Yeah. It was the night the power hour came out, if I'm not mistaken. So. Clippers one thirty one, Jazz one nineteen. Um, the Jazz led seventy two to fifty at halftime, and after leading by twenty five at one point in the third quarter, the Clippers proceed to outscore them eighty one to forty four. Dylan, um, not the best showing in a game six for the Utah Jazz. I mean, Rudy deserves a lot of blame, but really, I don't think they I think the Jazz defense really showed how bad it was if Rudy's exposed. <laughs>
1: Yeah, and this is something we talked about with, with them going small with the two out there, how much that just took Gobert out. I mean, they were drawing Gobert out to the three-point line so much, and it made it so easy for the Clippers to score. And that's why we thought the Clippers, even without Kawhi, had the advantage because they've taken one of their best players out of the equation basically on defense. So that was that was huge, and <laughs> it's just funny – looking back at these game logs, nothing is out of the ordinary. And then you get to Terrence Mann. I mean, that again, you know, we like Terrence Mann on this pod, but to let Terrence Mann shoot or get 39 points in an elimination game when their best player is out. I mean, that is like all time, like really pathetic performance from the jazz. Like they get Mike Conley back and yes, he clearly wasn't really healthy. He was not good in the game, but it was still, it was better than really the alternatives. Like that was something we talked about last week is the difference between the Clippers and the jazz is the Clippers can piecemeal Kawhi's production together. And maybe it's Terrence Mann going off one night. Maybe it's, you know, a handful of guys just getting more shots. The jazz had no other options, but Conley, like, it, you can plug anyone else into that spot. It's going to be bad. So just getting him out there was, even though he wasn't that good, it was better than not having him at all. But they just completely – they had the advantage. Like they they could have, you know, done better on defense. And they just completely let Terrence Mann get free at pretty much any point he wanted. I mean, he makes seven of their 23s. Like that's a huge difference right there. Like that—that's where the Jazz are supposed to have the, the advantages three-point line. They only made one more three, and I'll, and it's because they just let Terrence Man do whatever he want wanted to. And it wasn't just three-point shooting. Terrence Mann was getting to the rim. He was doing a lot that game. He was doing everything, <laughs> and I mean that was the difference maker. Like if if they just held Terrence Mann to a normal Terrence Mann game, it would have been fine. But they just handled it horribly.
0: Yeah, they really did. Um, Terrence Mann in the second half. I pulled up the second half stats. 25 points, 5 of 7 from 3. Like, he was really taking it to the Jazz. And they needed that little energy boost and it helped PG get going. Like, this wasn't the best game PG's had all playoffs. But it was enough to get him across the finish line. Like PG and Reggie played how they've been playing. And by the way, we got to talk about Reggie Jackson. Like we, we're going to have to, talk, we'll save him for the conference finals. I think this one will just, since there's more conference finals games, we don't have to really talk about the Clippers in this game other than man. But we just got to talk about how bad the Jazz were. So I'll say this one of my main takeaways from this series was that we were half right about Donovan Mitchell. We were wrong about the pull-up shooting, right? You remember the discussion we had during the second Jazz week, where we were talking about whether or not Donovan Mitchell, you know, was improved enough as a passer and a pull-up shooter to be effective. Well, the pull-up shooting, I think it's safe to say, is very real, right? Like I think we can say that the passing isn't. And here's why: Gobert, after Conley went out, was barely involved in the offense at all. And I know you know he's not a post player. But the way to the way the Jazz win and what Conley was doing in the Grizzly series that was so effective was that he was utilizing the lob threat of Gobert to get the other Jazz guys wide open threes. And I mean, they were looking like the best offense in the league in the Grizzly series. I think you would agree. And then without Conley, I mean, Dylan, it just felt like their offense fell flat without without Conley out there.
1: Yeah, and this is something I talked about last week too that. Mitchell is just clearly better when Conley's out there to kind of take some of that pressure off. And, again, the numbers look fine for Mitchell. I mean, he's still, you know, not shooting very efficiently. I mean, he was better in this game than the rest of the series. But, I mean, as you mentioned, like, guys just don't get as involved. And he, it seems like a lot of time he's passing to guys just because he doesn't have any other options. And, like, yeah, he'll still rack up nine assists – but cause he has the ball the entire game, but it clearly doesn't look as free flowing as it does when Conley's out there. Cause Conley's a natural playmaker. He's a guy that's, you know, he gets got other guys involved. He doesn't really care much about his own offense and yeah, he can score on his own. He can hit threes, but his job is to get everyone else involved. And that's why in that Grizzly series, I think Mitchell was so looked so good was because Conley was out there playing awesome and he was making life a lot easier for him. And, you know, it was helping go bear too. And as you mentioned, Mitchell doesn't have uh, he doesn't seem to want to get go bear as involved because it's just not his priority. He doesn't feel like it's his job. And that's why like there, there's certain guys, there's the Trey Youngs and the Devin bookers of the world that, you know, they're able to kind of balance the helping other guys get involved and in doing their own stuff. And then there's the Mitchells that they're very good at scoring, but they're much better when someone else is setting them up.
0: Yeah. And Mitchell, I mean, Mitchell can do a lot of stuff on his own, but if he has someone, you know, to get him those open looks and help him get his own with more space, then that's beneficial to him. But with no Conley out there, it was just, it was a clusterfuck for the jazz. And I I really felt bad for them. Uh, And that felt bad, but I felt like, this team deserved a lot better. And I, I Conley shouldn't have been out there. He really shouldn't have played. He looked really bad. And then Clarkson, I think Clarkson, he didn't get exposed in this series because he was really good on offense, but the defensive side was so bad. Like, really, this is, like, remember how in the first round we were saying Derek Favors is so bad, Derek Favors is so bad? You know, my, my new theory is that Derek Favors actually isn't bad. My new theory is that the Jazz defenders are so bad that Rudy Gobert looks makes them look good by comparison, and then when Rudy's not in the game, they have a free lane to the basket because Derek Derek Favors is out there instead of Gobert. Like I think that Gobert is just that good, where he he can he can gobble up the difference. But then when you can pull him out to the perimeter like that, the Jazz perimeter defenders aren't good enough to compensate for the fact that Rudy is on the perimeter.
1: Yeah, and again, that was something we knew that Gobert. Everyone was getting funnelled to Gobert. And Gobert can hold up. But when he's not down there, he can't do anything about it. And, again, that that was, I think, the greatest coaching move Ty has made in this playoffs, and he did it in the Mavs series, too, was he put Batum out there. He said, screw centers. You know, we don't have a Baca anyway. Let's just let's just play small. This is where the advantage is going to be at. And, obviously, Dallas, you know, their their big position right now is just in flux. <laughs> and it was very easy to take advantage of them the against Utah is going to be a challenge because Gobert, you know, one of the top guys in the league. But when you can pull him away from the rim, there's nothing he can do, and those other guys can't hold up. So it's again, this is this is why Gobert gets talked about all all the time. But this time, it really wasn't his fault. It is kind of everyone else's fault for not being able to, you know, hold up on their own, and kind of Snyder's fault for just basically building their defense entirely around Gobert with basically if Gobert's out of the equation, then they're screwed.
0: It's like, they don't have the lineup versatility that the Clippers had, right? Like we're seeing in these playoffs and we're going to talk about it in the conference finals. We're seeing in these playoffs that having that versatility is huge. And like Bill Simmons, I've started listening to his podcast again. I've actually started to really enjoy it. He's saying like he's made a really good point where the Clippers can just pull guys out in any series. Like Pat Bev didn't play in the first round and look at him now. We'll talk about that more in the conference finals. He played more in the jazz series too, because he was, he shut down Clarkson for the most part, right? Clarkson still got his looks, but I feel like he was really good on Clarkson. And then, you know, you throw out Batum, you can throw out Zubak. Like he has so many different chess pieces to play with. And the jazz just don't have that right. Niang played four minutes in game seven. (laughs) <laughs> Four. He was like one of their most key rotation players in the regular season. And he barely played, Um, you know, maybe try Ursan Ilyasova, maybe try, you know, something right. Like I think this Mie Oni kid, why didn't they try him more? Right. Like, I don't understand just why they didn't try stuff. Right. Ty empowers his guys. Ty Lu empowers his guys. And I, I think it's safe to say Quinn Snyder empowers his eight best players. And he didn't empower anybody else. Like Ingles only played 17 minutes in this game. Like I know he's not the best, but he's better than what you were getting from Conley. Like I know like he's but be- I just I don't <sighs> Quinn Snyder got pantsed by Tyloo in this series. Like is it safe to say that, Dylan?
1: Oh yeah. I mean Tyloo put on a show. And again, like Ty Lu's proven a lot. He's been down 2-0 twice now. And he's made he's made the correct uh, you know, decisions to help them get back. And you know, you can say Kawhi's done all the work, but Again, I think putting Batum out there just opened everything else to make Kawhi's life easier, made Paul George's life easier, and it made Reggie Jackson's life easier. And that those are the three guys that have really propelled them to the point they're at now.
0: Exactly. Um, why don't we use this to jump into the uh, the Sun series? So is that okay with you, Dylan? I think we're done with the Jazz. Oh yeah. man, what a fresh! There. Okay, one last question. The Jazz definitely are winning a title now, right? Like this is their best chance by far.
1: Yeah, I mean, I never thought they would have anyway. But yeah. I mean, after you get kicked on the second round with this team, I don't see it.
0: Best record in the West, and they lose in six to the uh, zombie Clippers with no with no Kawhi. Um, you really do hate to see it, but let's go ahead and move on to the Clippers Sun series, the Western Conference Finals. Back to uh back to the present time. So with so we don't have to spend too long on Hawks Bucks. We'll do that last, but this series has gone three games, so I figured we'll spend a good amount of time talking about this. So game one, uh, Suns 120, Clippers 114. Game two, Suns 104, Clippers 103, and one of the longest endings in recent memory. And then game three, Clippers 106, Suns 92. Um, Dylan, so we're three games in. How are you feeling about the temperature of this series? Do you think the Clippers are doing, like, do you think the Clippers can actually win? Do you think the Suns will win? What do you, what is your current thoughts on this series?
1: Well, my issue with the Clippers is still that they're basically two guys. And it's like, it's kind of funny how Kawhi goes out and it's still that problem. Like, you know, we saw one great Terrence Mann game, but basically ever since then, it's been Paul George and Reggie Jackson. And, you know, they've gotten a little bit of production from everyone else. You know, Zubach has had a couple of good games, including last night, but The, you look at the sun side, it's just so much more balanced. I mean, you know, Chris Paul was bad last night and, and this is why I think the Suns are going to win because Chris Paul and Devin Booker last night, 10 for 40. I mean, is that going to happen, you know, more than once? I don't know. It might, but 10 for 40 is very uncharacteristic for those two guys. Um, But, like, you know, and campaign wasn't much of a factor last night, which is odd. He got hurt. Oh, that's right, yeah. Uh, I mean, campaign, man. Like, I got to throw a parade for this guy. I mean, what a – and I know this – you're going to – you still have some lingering uh, hurt from the Bulls. But, I mean, it's it's just been amazing that what he's pulled off. And we saw it last year in the bubble. And he's – man, I mean, he was great in that game, too he basically made it seem like Chris Paul wasn't even a part of the team. Like he was, this is, this is the guy, like he's, he's just been so good the past year and it's been a huge impact on the Suns. but man, I think the guy, and this is, you know, not a hot take Deandre Aiden, pretty good. I mean, it's funny because uh, Zach Griffith got some flack for uh saying I think he was the third best center in the league. And I don't know if I want to go that far, but, I mean, man, he's definitely in the discussion because on both sides of the floor, like the first two rounds we saw him on defense really show up. And right now we're seeing how good on offense he is. I mean, he is just dominant. Like, first of all, he's one of the best role men in the league, I think. He is just so strong on every single role. He sets good screens and he barrels towards the rim. And he is just a massive human being. So good luck stopping him. Um, he's really light on his feet for his size too. And he's also got like a nice little jump shot. I mean, he is just, he's really confident on both sides of the floor now. And that has been a huge factor in this playoffs for the Suns. Not only has he been able to match these really good centers he's gone up against, but on offense, he's been able to, to really help this offense flow. And that's how it's been all year. I mean, this offense has flowed so well. And Aiden has been a huge part of that. So on the Sun side, I think you just see a lot more balance with their shooting and scoring and the guys they have finishing buckets. And on defense, you know, they've been pretty connected too. So, you know, despite last night, I just think it was a little bit of an off game for the Suns. I, I still think the Suns have the advantage in this one.
0: I think I'm going to go the other way. I think the Suns are still better. But Chris Paul looked pretty bad last night to me. Like, I thought throwing Terrence May on him like Lou just came out of the gate with that adjustment and Chris Paul. I didn't think I'd be saying this in the conference finals, but Terrence Mann's the best defender. He's faced all playoffs. Like he was up in his grill and Chris Paul, I'm not going to deny that there might've been some factor of fatigue, right? Like that might've played into what happened there. But I think that, I mean, this is the second game in a row Booker shot poorly in they're letting Beverly get away with whatever he wants on Booker. So, like, game two, Booker shoots 5 of 16, 9 of 9 from the free throw line. Not not bad, right? I mean, they won by one, so good enough. Last night, 5 of 21, only gets to the foul line four times. Like, they were letting um Bev be really physical with Booker, and I think that that's kind of being the difference in the series to me. And Booker dealt with foul trouble, and really the whole Suns team kind of dealt with foul trouble, but... I thought that the difference in the game was just the physicality from the Clippers, and I'm not going to lie, Aiden's been really good in the playoffs. I can't deny it. He kind of disappeared in the second half to me, like I kind of stopped noticing him on the screen. And the Suns are the best when you notice the Andre Aiden is getting his hook shots right. When you notice that he is, you know, getting to his spots, getting his shots up. So in the second half, I'm pulling up the stats. DeAndre Aiden played 18 minutes, only took seven shots, only had three rebounds. And it seems light for DeAndre, and he's been, like, for the playoffs, I think he's averaging, like, 22 and 14 or something like that. And he finished with 18 and 9, but it just felt really muted in the second half because Ty went to small ball more in the second half. I'd be really curious to see if they keep up the small ball approach because they were beating the small ball approach in the first couple of games. I don't know. And Terrence made in the second half last night, too. He showed up again in the second half, like on offense, he was getting putbacks. He was just playing with energy. I think he shot six of eight for the game. I'm not saying I'd still probably favor the Suns, but don't count the Clippers out. I think that they still, I think the Clippers still have a chance Dylan.
1: Yeah. I will say that their defensive versatility is a very large factor. Cause I mean, if you can keep Booker shooting like this, obviously they're going to have a chance and they may even have the advantage. I still don't think it's going to be as bad as it was last night. Um, but, you know, and again, campaign getting hurt, huge for them. But the Clippers' defense is tremendous. And Terrence Mann, just on both sides of the ball, really all year, but you've been seeing a lot recently in the past couple of series that he he's just like that glue guy that he fills in, the he does the dirty work, he hits the big threes, and, you know, get the putbacks, And that's kind of what they relied on Beverly to do. And he has been doing it, Uh, you know, obviously early on in the playoffs, he wasn't getting as much run. But, you know, when you have two guys like that that are willing to really work hard on defense and, and, you know, shoot shoot the wide open three that no one is looking at them for or getting the putbacks, like that stuff's huge. And, again, when Kawhi's out and, I mean, Marcus Morris, for God's sakes, man, what an awful playoffs for him. I can't believe he's been this bad after last year. He was so good last year in the playoffs. He has been horrible. He's had, like, maybe three good games the entire playoffs. I mean, he he's just gone from, like, their third best player to just barely even relied upon at all. So that's been an interesting development. But, you know, when, when you have two guys like that and then Batum, as I've talked up a lot, who does so much, whether the stats show it or not. Um, I mean, they definitely, you know, they're very interconnected, just like the Suns in different ways. But with Kawhi not out there, the talent, I still think the Suns probably favored. But I definitely wouldn't be surprised if the Clippers off grit really alone can pull it out.
0: You want to know my favorite um, Lou adjustment? really of the playoffs, like, and he's had a lot of good ones last night. He brought off Marcus Morris off the bench to be the backup five. So instead of playing boogie, which, you know, shout out to boogie, but like we, we expressed concerns for him. The first like time we did the Rockets. Well, the only time we did the Rockets <laughs> when he was on the Rockets, he was not looking great, but Marcus Morris last night, you know, eight and five, two and two from three, five rebounds. Like he was putting in work last night, right? Off the bench, which is what you need, right? Like he's basically been the small ball center for them and it's worked. That's the reason why the small balls worked and Zubac. Let's talk about Zubac. Then let's talk about Reggie Jackson. Zubac last night, 15 points, 16 rebounds, two blocks, nine to 10 from the free throw line. I mean, Dylan, if he plays like this, like two or three more times, like maybe two more times, there's a real chance they win this series.
1: Yeah, that's a big if. Big if it is. he he's like a one every three games type of guy. It, which is it's tough because he has such a great body for that position. Just like Aiden, I mean, he's a really strong roller. It's really hard to stop him once he gets going. Um, but we've seen this from him before, but he'll have one good game and then the next game it's like four and four, you know? So again, big if. Obviously, as I said, when you have two guys playing really well, any sort of contributions from the other guys are great. And I think that was one of the big differences last night was Zubac went from having a very small role to playing over thirty minutes, and you know having fifteen and sixteen. So it's it's kind of a we'll see. I don't. I really have a tough time seeing that being consistent from him, but it definitely was huge last night.
0: Yeah, he had a double double in the first half like that's huge for that. Like I really think for him, it's all about effort, like effort and energy. Like that was the most energy I think I'd seen him play with ever before. If he brings that out for game four, like he outplayed DeAndre Ayton in the first half yesterday, second half, they went more with small ball, but I think that he really outplayed DeAndre Ayton in the, in the second half. And I, he really looked good and this is the best he's looked all playoffs. We got to talk about Reggie though. <laughs> Remember when I ripped Reggie, and I put that out as the clip. Um, I think Reggie's going to make like 15 million a year. I think he's a free agent this summer. He might make 15 million a year, Dylan. Like, isn't it crazy? Like where he's gone from, like where he is now compared to where he was.
1: I mean we've we've seen it from him before. I think consistently consistency's been the problem. Like if you look at those Detroit teams, a lot of it was injuries. When they had, like, him, Andre Drummond, and Blake all out there together, they weren't a bad team. Like, I think they were, like, a 500 team. Uh, but those three guys got hurt so much, like, they could never put it together. And, you know, with the Clippers up to this point, it's been iffy. Like, he's had a bunch of games this year where he's had, like, 20 points, and then the next night he'd have, like, six. So, it's it's been – consistency has been the problem, and I think now – you know, I think with Beverly really not showing up the way they thought he would um, and really reducing into a much smaller role, I, I don't know if it gave him confidence or what, but like he knew what he had to do. And now with Kawhi out, he knows he's going to get a lot more shots and a lot more, um, you know, responsibility. And he's taking advantage of it. I mean, he's been great. He like, it seems like every single game they win, he, he's hitting a big three close to the end of the game. So, like, he's showing up when it matters. He's been really good, really, at every point of the game, Uh, just, just being a great shot maker. And, like, you know, he, he may not be the best lead guard in the world, but as far as shot making, he's been great.
0: Yeah, and – it feels like Reggie, you know how, like, most guys, when they hesitate, if they're, like, if they have five feet of space, if they're open and they hesitate, they miss every single time? Reggie's the only guy I've ever seen who takes that second to hesitate and then swishes it every single time. Like, it feels like he's, if he's wide open, he's never missing. And so, for the playoffs, for the whole playoffs, 17.6 points, 50% from the field, 42% from three. Like, the man is stepping up when he's been needed most. And he's been consistently doing it in the biggest games probably of his life. And I can't even hate on his defense anymore because he's actually trying on that end. Like, if you remember last year, I mean, it was a while. It was, it's was. it been almost a year, Dylan. But when uh, Luca hit the shot in the first round, you remember who was switched on to him last year? When Luca hit the fadeaway in the bubble?
1: Reggie Jackson. That's
0: right. So he's been really improved to me. And I'm very happy he's going to get – I mean, if he keeps playing like this, he's going to get paid. Someone's going to pay him to be, you know, like a spot-up shooter slash, you know, tertiary creator. Like, he's done really, I mean, and since Kawhi's been down, he's been a secondary creator. He's been, he hasn't fallen off. So he deserves a lot of props for how he's played this playoffs, especially, like, the Suns are the toughest defense they've played by far,
1: and he's still doing well.
0: So he deserves a lot of credit for how well he's played.
1: Yeah, it's – I mean, he's definitely getting a bag. He's definitely getting a bag. There's no doubt about that because he's been – again, like the guys that can show up in the playoffs like this, they just have a much different view from the league. Like it's – it. there's the guys that show up and there's the guys that don't. It's That's really all it comes down to. And, you know, he hasn't had a ton of playoff experience uh, before this with uh, being in Detroit. <laughs> Obviously, he had some in OKC, but he's – he showed up this year. Like there's nothing else you say about it.
0: All right. That is correct. Um, let's real quick. Talk about, uh, let talk about Booker and PG. And then I think we'll move on to the Hawks, um, the Hawks game, the Hawks Bucks game, but Dylan um, Devin Booker right now, 25 points a game, 37% from the field. Paul George, 29 points a game, 39% from the field. But Paul George is at 29, eight and six and, Booker's at 25, 7, and 7. Like, I feel like those guys are both contributing in ways that aren't – like, they're both contributing to winning in ways that isn't their scoring. And I feel like that's been huge for both their teams these playoffs.
1: Yeah, I mean, again, like, the playoffs, I feel like I give a lot of these guys a break on efficiency because these top guys, they just have to put up so many shots, and the defense is always going to be tougher. The defensive assignments, like – I mean, there a lot of these guys get double, even triple teamed at times. There's just a lot more pressure. And when you have a team that plays you over and over, it's a lot easier to figure out what you're going to do. So, you know, I always give guys a break on that. I mean, they've both been excellent. You know, again, Booker struggled lately. But, I mean, Paul George, this, is, this has probably been his best playoffs. Like, he had some good runs with the Pacers, but it, he's – You know, after last year, it's been nice to see him really consistently be pretty solid. And again, he's been really huge down the stretch of a lot of these games. Um, I think he's been a lot better of a creator for others, too, uh, which without Kawhi has been important. So, yeah, he's been great. And again, Booker, uh, he's he's a guy that's kind of dealt with a lot of attention for a while. So I think he's starting to get used to it. Again, would be nice to just a little bit too much jump shooting still, I think, is it's all if you're just always going to miss more shots when you're not getting to the rim. Um, And, you know, I don't know if the nose is impacting that at all, but for them to really, you know, I I don't want to say they have to win this next game, but the way the Clippers have played this playoffs, if they tie it up at two to two, I think they're going to win. And, you know, Booker is going to have to show up and he's going to have to be more efficient for them to have a chance.
0: I totally agree. Um, To bring it back to Paul George, I think the best thing Lou has done, and I know I keep saying that, but for the whole of the season, the best thing Lou has done is to not run Paul George off of screens like Doc did. Because you, you remember this last year, right? When, when they played, he was basically using him like J.J. Redick or Ray Allen. And Lou's put the ball back in his hands a lot more. It's I think it's that's what's paid the most dividends for them. It's just been him, Paul George, having the freedom to run the offense. He's basically been the point guard for them. We we're, were saying all season, oh, they need a point guard. They need Kyle Lowry. They need they need this guy. They need that guy, whatever. But they, I think they have that guy. And I think his name is Paul George. And I think that you brought up this is his best playoffs ever. I think this is better than the 2013 playoffs. And that's often pointed to as like, oh, this is peak Paul George. I think this is the peak Paul George. This... Having the ball in his hands, having the freedom to make the mistakes, and yeah, he did miss two free throws at the end of game two, but he also hit two clutch shots to put the, give them the lead two separate times in that last minute. That took five minutes, or not five minutes; it took thirty. Um, but I mean, Dylan, the the step back jumper to to make it like 100, 101, hundred one, one hundred, and then the the layup to make it one hundred three, one hundred two. I mean, the Clippers aren't in the position to win that game if not for Paul George.
1: Yeah, and that that's exactly what Ty Lue said. I mean, like, they're not in that position to win the game if Paul George doesn't play like that down the stretch. So, again, free throws are tough. But, I mean, Paul George is not a guy that misses free throws at the end of games all the time. Like, it's not like this is Ben Simmons, right? So, mm-hmm. you know, it's, it's tough, and uh, I know a lot of our friends that hate on PG are going to, you know, keep that in the back pocket. But, again – it was one bad moment surrounded by a bunch of good moments and it happened to, you know, help them lose the game, but it happens. And again, without him, they're not even close to competitive. So,
0: And I do want to shout out Devin Booker for the 40 point triple double in the first Western conference finals game of his career. It's pretty impressive, but I think we've touched on everything we need to touch on for that series. Thankfully for the other series. I mean, okay. I will say before we move on, it's weird that the NBA was like, Hey Clippers, you just played a, um, you just finished your uh, your game 6 at 1 Eastern on Friday. We're going to have you play at 3:30 Eastern on Sunday. I thought that was kind of weird. I thought they should have just let the uh the Clippers play on Monday. I don't know why. Cuz it it felt like game 1, you could tell how like you would tell how tired Paul George was last night. But in game 1, you could really tell how tired they were.
1: Yeah, and I don't I just don't like when the two series are like that far off. Like, we just finished the 1st Bucks Bucs-Hawks game, and, like, we're already three games into the West. Like, you know, even pushing it back a day would at least close that a bit. So, I, I always hate that when the series, like, are going to finish at way different times. So, it is what it is. But the NBA, they love their Sunday matinee game, so they had to force that out, I guess.
0: I suppose so, but – to go back to what you were referencing, um, the Bucks and the Hawks are playing in the Eastern Conference Finals, and there's only been one game, so this one isn't going to take as long to analyze. It's only one game. Um, the Hawks won, one sixteen to one thirteen. Trey Young had forty eight, seven and eleven in his first Conference Finals game. Um, so we didn't talk much about Trey in the Sixer series, and we haven't talked about the Bucks on this pod all playoffs long, really, but. I mean, what a special performance from Trey. Let's just start there because we need to respect – like, you know, need is a strong word. We should respect these when they happen. Like, this, this was, like, really an all-time great performance by Trey. He just completely dominated the Bucks.
1: Yeah, and, man, we've been talking about Drew Holiday all year as, you know, what he can do on defense. And the Bucs in general have been a good defensive team for years. And Trey has just – he hasn't fallen into this trap at all of like being double teamed and like being forced into turnovers and all that. Like he just has figured it out. And I think his passing is a big part of it because it passing and shooting. Cause if you double team him, he's good enough. He's going to get the ball to the right guy or he's going to shoot it. So he knows how to handle the, the really strong defensive assignments. And as we talked about before, his floater game has been so huge. So he doesn't even have to get all the way to the rim. Like he can stop a few feet short, throw that up. It's going in. And if he doesn't do that, he's going to find John Collins uh, on a lob. You know, that's that was – in that first game, that was a huge part. John Collins gets to the rim and, and catching those lobs. So he has been just really a maestro on offense, finding really good shots and, you know, finding others. And as we've talked about all year – the three-point shooting is not as big a factor. I mean, he shot, he shot 13 of his 34 shots from three. He only made four. So four of his 17 makes were from three. So that's a much more balanced you know, scoring diet than we've seen under Lloyd Pierce. And again, that's why I give McMillan a lot of credit because he's clearly said, like, we're not going to do this hard experiment. You're not going to be shooting a bunch of threes from 50 feet out. Like, we're going to have you get closer to the rim. We're going to have everyone kind of collapse around you, and there's going to be points to score on every possession because you're strong enough offensively where you're either going to score on your own or you're going to find the guy that's going to score. So, you know, that's credit to McMillan and it's credit to Travis Slank for building this team to the point where they have such a nice balance of guys that can dribble and guys that can shoot, guys that can get to the rim. So, you know, as good as Trey Young has been, all these guys around him have made his life a lot easier too.
0: Yeah, and I think we didn't talk about Collins during the, uh, the Sixers series, but this is a good time to talk about him because he had 23 and 15, five offensive rebounds, Capella with 19, 12 and 19, four offensive rebounds. Um, that might be the way, because the Bucs really weren't going to the drop the whole time right? They were switching a lot. Like, actually, I felt like every time there was a screen set, they switched. But the way that the Hawks were beating the switches were the offensive boards and Capella and Collins killed them on the offensive boards. Capella, like nine offensive rebounds between the two of them. And they, they accounted for the majority, but Trey had an offensive rebound at one point. Like they really, they really crashed the glass. And I think Collins in particular deserves a lot of credit. I was really, I wasn't as high on him as a lot of people coming into the playoffs, but now I'm very high on him. I think he's really good.
1: Yeah. And you know, it's, it's nice because I think last year, especially they kind of tried to make him a shooter. They wanted to see what he could do and he can make shots. Like the one three he made in this game was a huge three in like the last two minutes. So, you know, that, that shooting has helped his game, but He's much better when he's around the rim. And again, he is just an athletic freak. And I mean, there's been, there was a lot of lobs in that game where Trey was pretty close to the rim. So you have like three or four guys in the paint and he'll throw up a lob and Collins is just going to catch it and throw it down. You know, like that's, that's where he's best at is down low. And when you have Capella out there, you know, you got to find the proper balance for it. But I mean, they figured it out where, those two guys can both really coexist well together. So, yeah, Collins has been huge for them. And with Bogdanovich, you know, being uh, scuffed up and DeAndre Hunter not being out there, they needed someone else to step up. And it's been Collins, and he's been great.
0: Yeah, Collins stepped up in game seven as well. It's not I, like he, you know, I didn't mention him when we were talking about game seven, but he really stepped up in game seven. And, you know, Gallo only made one three, nine points, but it was a huge nine points. <laughs> But if I'm the Bucs still and I'm not concerned. You know what I mean? Herter only went one for six from three. Um, Collins only went one for five from three. Like, yeah, those guys might bounce back. But it took 48 points from Trey to beat you. And you didn't really do anything poorly except Middleton didn't make as many shots. Middleton shot six of 23. Like, I feel like Middleton's percentage is going to go up. And I think the Bucks will win this series pretty handily.
1: Yeah, and something we talked about pre-pod was if you watched in that game, I mean, Giannis was getting everything he wanted. And why? Because he was the fucking center, bud. I mean, he was running pick and rolls with Drew, just easily posting up down low, easy dunks. Every time they were in transition, he was getting ahead of the pack. They were feeding him down low, easy dunk. And, and they lost the game, but... I think it was more defensive kind of miscues than anything. Um, I mean, offensively, they were flowing really well at the end of that game. And again, they came up just short. But as you said, Middleton, I mean, like Middleton against the the Nets was just massive. And it's like, God, man, like the past two years, he has been so huge in the playoffs. And that's why when they got Drew Holiday, I'm like, this is a team to watch out for because you got Middleton, you got Giannis, you just need that third guy. And, you know, Middleton didn't happen to show up in this one, and they only lost by three points. I mean, six of 23 from your from your best shooter and probably your best, like, one-on-one isolation scorer, like, that's not going to happen every game where he's just that bad. So I think they're in a great position, and, and I honestly wouldn't be shocked if they just win four straight. <laughs> I wouldn't either. I mean, they they were terrible from three, you know, and Drew Holiday had a very good game, um, which, you know, probably a little bit better than usual as far as uh, scoring. But again, when Middleton was that bad and you only lose by three and as you said, Trey scores 48, I, I think that's a win for them.
0: And especially if Bogdanovich isn't healthy, because if Bogdanovich was healthy, I would be taking the, the Hawks a lot more seriously. I, just, I like he's not healthy and I like harder. But Herder doesn't have a Seth Curry to attack in this series, right? He doesn't have, you know, a Tyrese Maxey to attack in this series. They don't have – the Bucks. yeah, Bryn Forbes will play, but the Bucks are smart enough to stow him on Solomon Hill, right? Hopefully. I mean, I have to give Bud credit. He out-coached Steve Nash in the last series. Now, is that an accomplishment? Who's to say? But, I mean, you brought up Brooke Lopez – Lopez was really good in the net series, but he might be played off the floor in this series. Like, I think that this is not a Brooke Lopez series at all. And I mean, frankly, this might not be a PJ Tucker series. This is where I think we've been saying this for the last couple of rounds, but this might be the series where they really miss Dante. Like, yeah, he doesn't do a lot of the big things, but he does a lot of the little things he can actually shoot. Their spacing is so awful. Like, if they win the finals this year, they're going to be the worst three point shooting team since like the 10 Cel the 10 Lakers or something to win the finals because they, they're like Middleton's the only guy out there who can shoot. And that's, I mean, Lopez can shoot Tucker. doesn't shoot like hardly ever. Um, Connaughton, we saw airballed that three, which he should not be taking a three in crunch time at all. But that was, um, listen, I'm not concerned if I'm the bucks I'm, bouncing back next game I'm doing the exact same damn thing maybe not letting Connaughton shoot a three in crunch time but I'm doing pretty much everything else exactly the same and I think like Trey only shot one of seven on floaters in the second half is the stat I heard I don't remember where I heard it from I Kevin O'Connor I'm just gonna attribute it to Kevin O'Connor because I don't remember where else I heard it from but I know I heard it from him um one of seven from floaters in the second half and one of them was that bullshit uh One where he, where Holiday kind of bumps into him lightly and then he hits that crazy fader. I think they counted that as a floater. But I mean, Trey wasn't getting to his spots the same way in the second half from floater range. So if you can stop that, then I think they have a really good chance of winning the series.
1: Yeah. And going back to DiVincenzo, I mean, that really just threw a wrench in their lineup because, I mean, they're starting, they're starting three bigs. They've got Lopez, Giannis, and Tucker out there. Connaughton gets 30 minutes. I mean, that's really tough. 30 minutes from Connaughton, like that's, you know, if you have Divincenzo in those minutes, they probably win this game by 10 points. Because again, he Divincenzo is one of those guys that can do a little bit of everything. Like he's not great at anything. He's a good defender. He's a good passer. He's a good shooter. Good ball handler. And that's all they need. They have everything else. So. Losing him was a really tough hit, and, you know, they're probably still going to get to the finals without him, and they may even win, but it's going to make the road a lot tougher. Um, But, again, they still outweigh on talent quite heavily, even with that injury. Um, So I think they'll be fine. You know, I don't want to doubt the Hawks too much because we've done it all playoffs. Well, not necessarily us, but everyone's kind of doubted them a bit, and they've pulled through. So we'll see what happens, but I definitely think the Bucks have a pretty good chance of winning.
0: Well, Dylan, if we uh, potted the week you were on vacation, we might have been down on the Hawks <laughs> because after game three, it looked like they were done in the Sixers series, but then um, things changed. But I think, do we need to talk about anything else in this series?
1: Um, I think I think we're good. I mean, All right, let's,
0: let's do some prediction. Let's, let's make us predict. Let's predict each of the rest two series, each of the conference final series. So what is your prediction for Suns Clippers?
1: I'm going to go ahead and say Suns in six. Um, I think the Suns win the next one, and then Clippers make a little bit of a comeback, and then Suns close it out.
0: I think I'm going to go Suns in seven. I think the Clippers win the next game, but I think if it's a home game... I mean, Phoenix has really good home court advantage. We saw that in the first two games. We've seen that really all playoffs. I mean, I know they lost game two to the Lakers at home, but I think the Lakers were the like the healthy Lakers. The healthy AD Lakers were the only team that was better than them. All playoffs. And um, I think the Suns will just, I think the Suns will pull it out. But who's to say, right? If the Clippers win game four, it's really interesting series. So best of three. Um, And then what is your prediction for Hawks
1: Bucks? I'm going to go ahead and say bucks and six
0: bucks and six. I think I'm going to go bucks and six as well. I think that that's the way I've been leaning this whole time. Our friend, uh, Caleb Lynn, I don't know if you heard this. He's saying Hawks and seven. I respectfully disagree because I just don't think the Hawks have enough firepower to win the four games out of seven. But then we said the same thing in the Sixer series. So who's to say, um, all right. I think that's everything we have for you today. Um, from one young soul to another. All right, we're going to in our shameless plugs from one young soul to another. If you don't buy this book, all right, it's $7.50 for a hardcover, $5 for a Kindle. I mean, $5, that's that's nothing. I'm gonna go to your local coffee shop, right? I'm not gonna assume you go to a Starbucks. You know, I'll assume a little better, like not better. I don't judge you if you go to Starbucks, but I'm not gonna judge you if you don't go to Starbucks either. You know, I'll go to your local cafe slash bar and tell them that you trash their establishment online, that you wrote all the negative reviews online, all the negative Yelp reviews are your fault and that they'll ban you from coming into their, their restaurant ever again. Dylan, how are we feeling about that one?
1: You know, as someone that basically does not go to any stores because I, uh, very anti-corporations, obviously, you know, I, I like to make my things at home for the most part, but I can imagine a lot of people, you know, you go to a nice little coffee shop, you think you're being different. And you walk in one day and they're like, you know what? We're not going to serve you. We heard what you did. And you're just like, you're tearing their life apart. I mean, it may even be a little bit too harsh, actually, because there's a lot of people like this is their routine and they got to find a whole new place to go. So it's it actually may be a little bit too harsh, but hey, I'm not complaining.
0: All right. Here's here's a question for you. If someone only listened to this part of the podcast, would they consider me an emotional terrorist?
1: Uh yes, I think they would. You know, listen, it's hard being
0: famous. <laughs> but in all seriousness, just buy the damn book. It's $7.50. $5 for the, the Kindle edition. What the hell are you doing, bro? It's not that hard. Um, Divine Rhyme, um Sturgill Simpson month should
1: start soon, correct? Uh yes. We recorded the first episode a few days ago. I honestly should- have no idea where the episode is. That's not my responsibility. So
0: <laughs> Interesting. I've not heard from our good friend, Will Hogsett, so I'm, I'll get on him. Um, so what else have we got? We got, uh, Lynn Sanity. Caleb's coming at you twice a week with, um, with Zach and Bryce on Mondays and then JD on like Tuesdays or Wednesdays. So that's fun. Um, th- go check those out. Battleground. I'm trying to get that back next week. Triple option pass a little bit of hiatus till Ryan finds a-, a place in Sun Prairie, Wisconsin. Shout out to him editor of the uh sun prairie times i believe so sh- shout out to him uh circle city cinema they're resuming the road to fast nine after the playoff uh hiatus for zach they um they did fast six yesterday now did fast nine come out today yes yes it did but that's not going to stop us from going on our road to f9 and then you know reviewing we're going to review f9 in a month not me but a rotating cast of jd hall Devin voss and bryce Shetty. so make sure you check that out and then um I'm on Saturdays. We're doing the uh, Marvel show Loki. So make sure you check that out. Um, Facts and stats with JD Hall. You should have an episode out very soon. Uh, just like a short little episode about communication. I mean, Dylan Hughes, you agree. Communication key. Very. Very key. And then Den Dorks with DJ Deke. Um, really, really just inspiring content from all of us here at the Running Cook Podcast Network. Um, make sure you rate, subscribe, and review our podcast if you have any problems with these episodes make sure you reply to respond to us at Zach Griffith 17 um, he'll he'll receive all of your responses generally if you have any compliments for us at Alex before and at by Dylan Hughes um, <laughs> you want to tell us you love us um, at Caleb Lynn one Caleb deserves some love Caleb deserves some love so but in all seriousness Dylan Hughes this was a blast of an episode thank you so much for joining me
1: thank you